Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the HPO podcast. Today I am joined by Chris Cornell. Chris was a blast to chat with. I have been following him on Twitter for a while because he caught my eye with his disciplined approach to reclaiming his own health. Chris was able to drop 80 pounds through finding a low carbohydrate nutrition strategy that was easy for him to stick to and enjoy. He has also used a variety of fitness strategies along the way, including strength work and most recently, taking on a five kilometer training program that he has been working on with the help of former HPO guest Brady Homer. I think you might be surprised how much progress Chris has been able to make over the past few weeks with a relatively non-time-consuming approach that Brady laid out for him in order to meet his lifestyle. Uh, we dive into Chris's approach to nutrition and fitness, as well as some other hurdles in life he has managed to clear, including cancer. A few updates for those following along as well. The next round of guests coming up in the next few weeks include Alex Wish, who has accomplished some massive athletic achievements, including a challenge he came up with, which had him doing 1,000 pull-ups, 2,000 push-ups, and 3,000 squats, all while wearing a 20-pound vest. Also, Brody Sharp returns to chat about injury prevention and rehab. And then another return guest, Mike McKnight, but this time as the final guest for my series, The Dietitian's Dilemma, that Michelle Hearn has been guest hosting with me. So we sit down with Mike and chat about his approach to nutrition, which I would call a very low carbohydrate approach, and his most recent win at a 200 mile ultra marathon. So keep an eye out for those. Or if you want to check them out early, the $3 per month Patreon tier also has them up ad-free right now. So you could head over to the Patreon page and check those out if you want to get your hands on them early and support the show. Also along those lines, if you enjoy the podcast and wish to support either monetarily or by sharing, liking, and subscribing, please head over to zachbitter.com forward slash HPO for options, which include joining my Patreon page, making a quick one-time donation, which includes options to avoid the need of joining a third-party platform, or simply subscribing to HPO on your favorite podcast listening or viewing platform. You can also support by purchasing a product from one of my show sponsors. This episode's featured sponsors include Inside Tracker. When you do what you love, like running, racing, enjoying the great outdoors, you want to do it for life, Inside Tracker can help. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside you and to offer you science backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. Then, Inside Tracker tracks your progress every day, every step of the way toward reaching your performance goals and living a longer, healthier life. For a limited time, Human Performance Outliers podcast listeners can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just visit insidetracker.com and enter the offer code HPOPRO25. That's HPOPRO25. Also, if you are a coach, trainer, registered dietitian, or other health and wellness practitioner, 
your gateway to offering your clients Inside Tracker is Inside Tracker Pro. In addition to helping your clients perform better than ever with Inside Tracker Pro, you'll also get discounts and earn revenue. Plus, you'll get free access to the Inside Tracker Pro Resource Center and free personal coach dashboard for secure access to your clients' Inside Tracker results and recommendations. Earn revenue, enjoy discounts, and help your clients perform better than ever with Inside Tracker Pro. Visit insidetracker.com forward slash HPO to get started. Also sponsoring this episode is my friends at Bioptimizers and their product Breakthrough Magnesium. It is the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium. There are actually seven unique forms, and you must get all of them if you want to experience its calming, sleep-enhancing effects. I take two of the capsules before bed at night. That's why I feel comfortable recommending Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. As always, Bioptimizers offers their 360-day money-back guarantee, so you can try them out risk-free and see for yourself if they work for you. You can head over to bioptimizers.com forward slash human and use the promo code HUMAN10 to get 10% off your next order. Link and promo is also in the show notes for those. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the HPO podcast. Today, I'm joined by Chris Cornell. Chris, thanks for taking some time and jumping on the show. Oh, it's, uh, it's an honor to be asked to be on your program. I've really enjoyed listening to uh, other episodes, and uh, I certainly enjoy the uh, chance to be following some really lofty uh, guests that you've had on. <laughs> yeah, I've been fortunate to have some cool guests on, and I'm sure you will be included in that grouping when all said and done here. But uh, I'm excited to chat with you for a variety of reasons. Um, kind of as an athlete, I will like occasionally have someone share that something I said or something I did, uh, kind of spurred them on to like make a goal for themselves and go for it and reach it. And, and sometimes they'll, they'll kind of reach out and share that with me. Um, I do the same thing as an athlete. I'm always looking for like stories and things that people have done that kind of inspire me or like push me to kind of, you know, put that pedal down when I need to, when I'm looking for a little bit of extra, uh, motivation. And, uh, one thing I find really interesting is, uh, the athletes are great and those stories are fun and motivating a lot of times, but they're very like non-consequential is the way I maybe look at it. It's a lot of like, you know, those folks typically have had their health and stuff and their well-being all squared away. And now it's like, how do I achieve peak performance and things like that? But you can get a lot of motivation and a lot of uh, what I think is valuable, valuable insight from folks who were at one point in a position where it wasn't really a question of like, okay, I'm going to get things organized here so I can you know, reach this particular fitness goal, but I need to do some things here, or I'm going to be taking a lot, a lot, year, potentially a lot of years off of my life. And um, you're fit, <laughs> you're healthy now. Uh, but you've kind of had a, a road to that, if I'm not mistaken. I think I have some details here that you were at one point 278 pounds. And since then, you've lost 80. Uh, you've done it kind of through a lower carb keto type diet. Uh, I've seen a lot of stuff that you've put out around kind of like your strength routine and things like that. And uh, along the way, you've also uh, had to be cancer. So I think there's a lot of potential for motivation and just like a lot to kind of pull from your story personally, Chris. Um, yeah, well, I, I definitely 
had gotten myself into a position where I was not very healthy by uh, most standards. Um, fortunately, I hadn't yet gotten to a point where my metabolic health was was really suffering. But um, you know, I weighed 278 pounds. I came to that uh, realization um, around Thanksgiving when I was 51 years old. Um, so that I'm 57 now. So that's like six years ago. Um, I was at my mother's house, and I for some reason I I stepped on the bathroom scale. And I kind of expected to see like 260 pounds, which would have made me kind of depressed, but it said 278. And I asked her if it was accurate and she, <laughs> she told me it was. Uh, and uh, so I, I realized at that point that I really had to do something about it. And uh, it didn't happen right away. I did cut out. Um, I used to drink a lot of uh, uh, sugary sodas and I, I, you know, I cut out that and lost like 10 or 15 pounds and, went another year or two um, before really taking some some action. And I, 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 over the years, tried to simply restrict calories. I tried going on low-fat diets. Um, I did a lot of plant-based diets. Um, at one point, I went more than 10 years without eating red meat. Um, I didn't really know too much um, about, you know, where to get my information from. So, you know, when I was going plant-based, I didn't do any th sort of B12 supplementation and it actually cost me health-wise. I, I, I got really sick. I, I had to get medical attention. I, um, I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, and so it was a bit of an eye-opener and um, it was, I, I had, I have a brother that um, has type 2 diabetes and has now lost the function of his kidneys and he's on dialysis. So I I'm seeing this from a couple different angles, um, and and I and I see how bad it can be. Um, and I, you know, I value my health. I, I uh, it was around um, January of 2018 that I reached out to a friend who I knew had some experience with weight loss, and I asked him to re recommend a book for me. And that was the beginning of of sort of a series of events that really changed my life. Um, the book was. Gary Taubes is uh, why we get fat. And, um, you know, it, it, it turned out to be exactly what I needed. It, it caused me within, um, it was really within a week of ordering the book. Um, it only took me two days to get through the book. Um, I, I learned enough to, to set me off on a weight loss journey that I never faltered from. Um, you know, we're talking about decades of not being able to control my weight going up and down and and you know not not having the kind of uh, physique or fitness level that I wanted and just understanding the the principle of satiety um set set off the 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 weight loss and um shortly thereafter I got involved um on Twitter where I found people in the community and so, so while I'm losing the weight, five pounds a month, um, consistently, I, I seriously have never fallen off the bandwagon um, uh, since that, that, it was really January 14th, 2018. I've, I've never slipped once, um, I, you know, like a day I've, I've had bad food or whatever, but, but my diet and my weight has been under control. But what I learned from reaching out to someone that I knew had more knowledge than me and asking for a recommendation. And then the profound change that had on my life. Um, I've started doing that 
with other areas of fitness, health, and 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 beyond. You know, into my career and time management, and how you know what what can you do to improve this? And so, you know, I I, I just always used to think I was smart enough to figure things out myself, and then I realized, you know, the 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 depth and breadth of knowledge that's out there, and the number of people that have reached really high levels of achievement, um, is is incredible and and who am i to think that i'm going to reinvent th- this this perfect um you know formula for for any of these things i mean why not take advantage of what other people know and i've gotten pretty good at so finding finding people that can help me in my particular situation and i and i've i've just done that you know ever since so so my weight i'm i'm on a low carb diet but not particularly uh, drastic. Um, I wouldn't call it keto. I, I eat between 50 and 90 grams of carbs per day. Um, I eat about, after a, a lot of trial and error, I've decided that uh, about 190 to 200 grams of protein is good for me. I weigh about 200 pounds now is my my healthy goal weight. And um, and I so, so I get the protein in that helps keep um, my satiety levels very good and um, fat. I do not deliberately add fat to my diet, but I, I do eat plenty of fats that are present in uh, real healthy foods. Um, so uh, I don't know what, what direction you want to go from here, but, but that's, that's where I, that's the basic start of, of how I got myself on track. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think we can just dive right into the nutrition side of the conversation here and, and maybe dig a little deeper into kind of how you began maybe some alterations you made along the way, or if it was pretty consistent. I'm personally kind of curious if when you started after reading Gary's book, did you always kind of have that, I would say like moderate to some people will consider higher amounts of protein in your diet, given that you're 200 pounds. I don't find it egregious at all that you're going a gram per pound. That's what I do as well. Uh, but I haven't always been at that point. It took me a while to kind of get there through talking to some folks like uh, uh, Professor Stuart Phillips, uh, Professor Jose Antonio and Professor Don Lehman about just kind of where the protein research has gotten to today versus where maybe it was when I first got interested in nutrition. Uh, but was that something you implemented in the beginning with that type of a protein structure? Well, I, I did ask, start asking around on Twitter pretty early on. Um, I didn't, I don't think that was one of the big takeaways I got from Gary's book. Um, I think that um, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you know, his, his recommendations probably included um, um, would have led me to eat more fat um, than I'm currently eating and probably less protein. Um, I don't know that, I, I can't recall exactly how specific he was, but, but he definitely was the key to my figuring out how, that the, the importance of reducing carbs, particularly refined carbs. And I, um, uh, but I started asking around on Twitter. I, I started having, you know, seeing other people write about protein. And I started realizing that I probably was underdoing it by a good amount. Um, I, even when I was overweight, I lifted weights. I didn't have a great program, but I did a lot of uh, bench press. Um, and that's probably one of the reasons why um, I'm, I'm fairly fairly good at bench press for a 57-year-old guy. I've been doing that for a while. Um, but 
I don't think I was eating nearly enough protein. I was probably getting something like 100 to 120 grams a day. Um, and, and there were probably times during my previous diets where I was getting significantly less than that. Um, I would see the, um, the RDA for protein and, and, you know, I think I was probably eating more just because of my eating more food, but I never, I never uh, sought out uh, to, to achieve higher levels of protein. And I think it was to my detriment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned before you had had a few forays into some more plant-based approaches too, which I would imagine you're lower protein than you are now, plus probably a less bioavailable source of protein. So uh, you could be exposing yourself to quite a bit more usable protein from the, from a muscle building standpoint or a muscle maintenance standpoint, uh, which is always just kind of an interesting consideration. Uh, But you want to talk a bit about kind of what the protein sources you are currently taking in kind of consist of to hit those numbers of around 190 to 200 grams per day? Yeah, I, um, uh, for the last, I'll just mention a couple details about my, uh, diet and, and, uh, it, for one, I, I eat two meals a day, uh, pretty much year round. Um, I don't eat before noon and I try not to eat after 9 PM. So it's not a overly restrictive window, but it's, it could be eight to nine hours. Um, and my first meal, um, I usually don't eat much in the way of carbs. Um, I usually eat most of my carbs in the second meal. Um, the protein that I eat, I would say beef, um, salmon, chicken, uh, some pork, uh, a lot of Greek yogurt, uh, some nuts and some cheese, and um, you know, like and other like other uh, seafood. Um, so that's that's I would say kind of encompasses most of my protein. Oh, and I also have, um, I, I do eat, um, I have whey protein shakes. Um, I'm not, I don't maybe three times a week and it's usually a, a convenience issue. Like, um, if, if there's not something cooked and I just worked out and I feel like I kind of got to get some food in me, I'll have a, a protein shake, but you know, so three times a week, um, is, is about, about what I hit for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like your diet is quite close to mine, just maybe adjusted for activity preference a bit. Uh, and in you're a little bigger than I am, uh, from, uh, just a stature and, and weight standpoint. So there'll be those obvious, uh, variances too, but yeah, it seems like, uh, if you kind of start with that foundation in protein and then you decide kind of, well, where am I going to get my primary energy sources from? You can go from mostly to all fat, mostly to all carbs, somewhere in between. You know, guys like you and myself are going to be skewed much closer to fat than, than carbohydrates. And that's what we found works well for us. Um, you're getting most of your fat, I'm assuming, from some of the, from a lot of those meat sources that you mentioned, or are you adding any like oils or butters or anything like that along the way? I have uh, very little in the way of oils or butter. Um, if I'm going to cook, uh, something on the stovetop, I use a little bit of butter or a little bit of olive oil. Um, uh, I don't, I don't add large amounts, uh, so very, very moderate. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, um, the, the other fat would be, I didn't mention eggs. I mean, so I get fat from eggs and, um, 
and cheese and and beef um, and nuts um, and you know avocado um, so so mostly just you know real whole food uh, fats that are in the foods and I can tell from a satiety standpoint when I'm when I've underdone the fat the fat content like I you know it's I, I try to just be kind of cognizant of, of how I feel after I eat so that I know, you know, what I should and shouldn't do. Like if I'm going to have a, uh, say a couple of pieces of chicken breast um, and maybe some broccoli, um, I realize that if I don't put some, some cheese or something with fat in it, um, I'm going to be hungry even after I stuff myself. Um, but if I have a, um, you know, a bowl of uh, cooked ground beef with some onions and hot sauce, the fat is probably enough on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I experienced the same thing. It was actually kind of interesting because back when I was more moderate to high carbohydrate, I'd almost get that same experience to a degree where I'd eat a huge meal and I'd be full, but I'd have hunger pangs still. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. Something's not right here. If my stomach is full, then I I should feel satisfied. I shouldn't feel like I need to keep eating. And you know, some of it was you know likely due to just the kind of extreme workload training for ultra marathons and stuff like that. But I've, I kind of feel the same way when you're kind of on the other, this other end of the spectrum too, where there is this balance between, you know, getting enough fat in and feeling like, okay, I'm satisfied. I can move on to whatever task I have next. I don't really think about food to my next meal versus maybe getting a little too heavy on the protein and then kind of feeling full or like your stomach isn't growling, but having these hunger pangs kind of flare up. And I've used that as a signal too, to kind of know if I may be getting a little too lean on my protein sources and need to skew a little bit back towards uh, some fattier cuts or, or, or more eggs or something like that. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm the same way. And I do a lot of, uh, uh, I, I just try to be observant. Um, I, 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 I spend whenever I get the chance, um, part of my work, I do marketing, and uh, you know a lot of digital marketing type of work, and and I also write articles, and I get the chance to interview people, um, you know, people that have a lot more knowledge than me. And whenever I get a chance to ask, you know, how how they go about figuring certain things out, what method do you use? How do you use trial and error? How do you shortcut the the amount of time it takes? And so I'm always always trying to learn and observe and figure out how to how to sort of, I don't know, uh, come up with solutions for myself because I don't know where to begin when you start just reading books. It's like they're not necessarily designed for your specific situation. Um, and I, I heard you um, in your interview with uh, Michaela, Mika- Michaela Peterson um, and you started talking about some of those those individual things with with respect to yourself. I was very interested in, in, in all that. It's like... Um, it's fascinating how you've got to create something that that works for your specific situation. You know, so a hundred miler is going to definitely need different type of nutrition than a marathoner, and same, you know, different for a five k runner or an old man who's just trying to sort of stay fit. Yeah, the individual side of things. I'm just so much more interested in that than any population level recommendations at this point in time, and I think it's. You know, I mean, it's fine to start there. I think that's where I started. I looked at the endurance literature and things like that when I got into to running and very much kind of followed that stuff to a T. 
for years. And I mean, I had some success with it as well. And it, you know, worked until it didn't work. And then when it didn't work, I started looking at it more at the individual level and started try to, like you said, tune into some of those things that, that I think are a really good guide, which is just like, well, how do I feel? How do I sleep? How is my performance? How is my recovery? And these type of things where um, they can be a little more subjective or something hard to maybe pin down. But uh, if you do enough repetitions in you know your day-to-day life and try to control as much as you can for long enough periods of time, you can get a good look at, I think, what what's going to really work well for you at the individual level versus something or one, one way to the other. So that's always been kind of an exciting part of the process for me. It sounds like that's kind of the route you took too, which is, okay, I found something that is going to work well for me or has is working well for me. Let's keep going this direction. And then if I see a reason to change down the road, because something pops up that I didn't expect or something changes, we can always, you can always, you know, look into that stuff when that, when that kind of comes. Absolutely. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Did, uh, so did you start out with kind of more of an animal food centric, low carbohydrate approach when you first got into it, or was there more of, uh, um, or, or less of that kind of when you started and did you phase into that, or was that something you've kind of always been more inclined to do? Well, the, you know, looking back at the, um, at the, the months leading into me asking for that book recommendation, um, I, as a result of my brother's diabetes, I had had been um, reading two books um, in the fall of 2017. So like, um, you know, September, October, November, and December. Um, well, one of the books was, they were both by uh, vegetarian or plant-based uh, doctors who offered a way to put diabetes into remission. So even though it wasn't me that had the diabetes, I was concerned about my health and I was also interested in my brother's health. And so I was reading these books. One of them was by Joel Furman. Um, and um, I was actually following some of the things in his book. So so that fall before I went low carb, um, I was doing a plant-based diet. And what was the reason why I, right around New Year's, asked for for some help from someone was because I was losing weight on this plant-based diet, but I started seeing a repeat of the same patterns that afflicted me each of the other times um, where I've lost, you know, 25, 30, 40, even 50 pounds. Um, But I would, I would lose muscle. I would be, um, you know, in the extremes, I would be weak and cold and there was something wrong. I know, like, like I was losing weight and people weren't saying, Hey, you look great. They'd say, are you, are you sick? <laughs> and I'm like, that's not the, not the look I'm going for. Um, not the, not the way of feeling that I'm going for. So, um, so it was, it was, it was as soon as I got Tabs's book, I, I started to shed my fear of, of eating meat and, um, and consuming fat. Um, I didn't completely let go of all fear of fat. Um, I never, I never added butter to my coffee. I never, um, never went, you know, anything super extreme. Um, you know, I still had this, this idea that, you know, plants were probably provide, would provide some benefits. Um, and so, you know, I didn't forego broccoli or asparagus. Um, but, Anyway, as soon as I, January 14th, yeah, I, my diet did include um, beef, 
eggs, chicken, um, and has ever since. Interesting. And I know I want to touch on this quick before we get too far from it, because you had mentioned earlier that when you kind of started trending in the right direction from the weight loss standpoint, you were pretty consistently losing about five pounds per month. So did you have a pretty linear experience with that where it was, because I mean, five pounds a month sounds like super sustainable to me. Like, you know, you're dropping about a pound a week, uh, give or take. And I would think if that's fairly linear, then the motivation just kind of of getting that feedback week or month after month would be pretty ideal in terms of kind of sticking to the course more or less. Yeah, it was a real eye-opening experience. I personally have some issues with um, keeping things, uh, the word moderation doesn't work real well with me. And one of the things that I tend to do is I I tend to overdo things. Um, So like, if I'm going to start training for a 5k, for example, you know, I'm 57 years old. I'm, I'm, I'm not in, I wasn't in super great condition. You know, I, it cardiovascularly, I'm, you know, I even, even having been down into my goal weight for a while, you know, there's room for improvement. Um, and my, the, the tendency that I would have would be to start running seven days a week mm-hmm. and to see how fast I can get my my, uh, my time down and, 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 and doing stuff like that. And, and the problem with that for, for me is I, you know, I'm, I have a job, I have a family. Um, so I would tend to get good results for two or three weeks and then be unable to sustain it. So with respect to your initial question about the five pounds a month, something clicked in my head, like within the first month, I lost five pounds I wasn't hungry. And all of a sudden I just did the math and I was like, you know what? I'm, I, at the time I was, I guess was 53. Um, I have a lot of years left. If I take care of myself, I think I figured out a way to lose five pounds a month. Um, it's just a matter of multiplying the number of months times five. What's my rush? Like, why not, why not eat in a sustainable way that I can keep up and for whatever reason, I that that it was a little uncharacteristic for me. You know, my the the way I always used to be would have been I lost five pounds this month. How can I lose ten pounds next month? And I, it just didn't that didn't happen. And and it's changed my way of thinking for a lot of things. Um, um, whether it be you know increasing my bench press max or my uh, you know how much I can squat or deadlift. Or when, when with the 5K running plan that I started about 10 weeks ago, it's like my first concern is how can I figure out something that is sustainable? That is the number one thing, because if it's not sustainable, it isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And it, it kind of touches on something I've been very curious about the last couple of years, essentially, which is just like, how do you go about prescribing a nutrition plan for somebody else? Uh, obviously some people are going to go at it on their own, but, uh, I guess even if you are going about your own, you could still look at it through this lens, which is just taking a look at what it actually looks like. And then asking yourself and being honest with yourself, is this something I can stick to versus something that is going to be, you know, I can white knuckle my way through the first couple of months, maybe lose, you know, 10, 20 pounds and, but then end up right back where I was or worse, you know, four months down the road. 
Whereas it sounds like you kind of saw pretty early on in that experience, okay, this is something that's pretty easy for me to implement. I don't have to give it a whole lot of thought once I kind of have it programmed in and get the routine in place. And then it's just a matter of being patient and uh, kind of watching your, your, your body and health kind of move in the right direction. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I, I want to mention, because I think there's a lot of people that are in the same boat as I was in. I know every, you know, there's all different scenarios. People have all different issues with weight and food, but, but yeah, finding, finding something that's sustainable um, when it comes to weight loss and the, the most critical element for me um, had to do with satiety because I've heard for, for years, decades, um, restrict your calories, eat less. And I get it. Uh, I succeeded in losing 40, 50 pounds on multiple occasions by doing exactly that. But when, you know, at some point you're going to get to a position if you can't uh, um, control the satiety issue um, where, you know, you've got stress in your life, you've got something else you're focused on, you're going to spend an all nighter working on an article that you have due the next morning. And, you know, your concern about your weight is not going to be the top of your priority list. And you're going to see that bag of Doritos and, um, you know, and you're just going to, you're going to break down and, and it goes, your, your whole plan can get off track so easy um, with, with the way that, um, the way that I, what I learned from Taubes and then from a lot of other really smart people, I've had the opportunity to talk and work with um, some, some really smart doctors and other practitioners um, and get insights, you know, from a, a wide range of people Um to me, most of the ones that deal with people that are anything like me um, put a real high premium on addressing that satiety. Um, and that, you know, that's tweaking the, the macros in a way that, you know, um, where protein and, and fat can com combine. Yeah, and you know what? I, my mother, who is 80 years old and in very good health, is on a very um, healthy plant-based diet, and it's working for her. So I understand some people... Some people can can eat more carbs because that's not their um, kryptonite. But for me, sugar and refined carbs were, you know, that was something that I couldn't control. And it's just better to not have that as part of my life. Hey, folks, just a very quick reminder. This episode's sponsors include Inside Tracker's top-notch blood panel offerings for 25% off and Buy Optimizer's Breakthrough Magnesium for 10% off to all listeners of HPO consider checking out their links and information in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting perspective. I think I, I try to look at satiety. I like running comparisons uh, for obvious reasons, I suppose. But uh, I think of like satiety in the same way as I do is like pacing a race where if you get out too aggressively or at a pace that's not sustainable for you, you might hit those benchmarks you set out in front of you along the way ahead of schedule and be feeling good, getting motivation from them. But if it's not sustainable, you're going to hit a point eventually where all that forward progress and then even some of that extra progress you may have got from going too fast comes back and bites you and you end up giving back like two for every one, essentially, if you're looking at it from a time perspective, and then you end up in a worse place at the end than you expected to. And I think it's kind of similar with nutrition, where if you're following a plan that is uh, going to get you two benchmarks or some arbitrary goal uh, maybe even earlier than you expected, 
you know, what's your plan after that? Because if it's not something that you can stick to, if it's not sustainable, then, you know, you're going to find yourself in trouble at some point. And the interesting thing is like what you described, you see such a variety from folks from one to the next as to what that actually entails. And when I think of it like that, I think of just the, I feel like the direction we should go from a nutrition standpoint is instead of, you know, having these like government top down dietary guidelines that are very, what I would consider one dimensional, uh, why not say we have a variety of options to choose from chances are one of these options is going to work for you better than the others. We just need to find that one. And if it takes a little trial and error, so be it, but ultimately getting people to some eating patterns that are going to be something they can really get behind and enjoy and stick to and get the results and continue to get the results uh, is, is the way to go. I think otherwise we're going to end up in situations where we prescribe one way for everyone and 80, 90% of us fail and 10 to you know 20% of us succeed. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, it's, it's like you, you've got all these people studying this, um, real, um, you know, in the weeds, um, little tiny components of a diet and telling you that you should eat more of this or less of this. Um, I mean, like, like, honestly, refined grains don't work for me. And I don't eat any grains, pretty much. Um, so how does the recommendation on the, the dietary guidelines that it just flat out says, you should eat more grains, and particularly whole grains. Um, it turns out that whole grains are not necessary for my particular diet. And I totally understand they can be a part of someone else's. But, but that recommendation, which is a pretty, a pretty bold one on their, um, in their guidelines, um, turns out that doesn't help me at all. So, um, and it actually interferes with um, the results that I've been able to achieve. Um, so that's, that's just a, a small point. It's like, uh, you've got to, you've got to combine all the variables that work best for you. And, and, uh, you, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't help to, to make certain recommendations if they can't be part of a cohesive plan for somebody. Mm -hmm. No, I agree a hundred percent. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you'll look at the the research or whatever you want to point to as to, you know, what is going to give you this like pristine blood marker at the population level. And I mean, that's great if you happen to fit within, you know, the 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 bulk of the bell curve, so to speak. Uh, but then there's also another question of can you actually like maintain that eating style? And if you're not, you're just gaining weight, then chances are your health markers are going to all deteriorate anyhow. So it's, I like what you said. It's like, when you look at all the variables at the individual level, you get to get a little clearer picture of like, maybe, maybe one looks off on paper where it's like, well, that doesn't seem productive from a health standpoint, but if that one allows you to improve all the other ones, then maybe for you at the individual level, you're actually moving forward in a way that's going to actually get the best quality out of your, your life personally. What? Yes, I uh, completely agree. The one, one interesting little note is when I went low carb, I really kind of went wholeheartedly into getting rid of the processed foods, um, pretty much got rid of them all at once. And one thing that it was instilled in my brain, um, from all the years of, um, you know, seeing, uh, you know, from high school health class to, to dietary guidelines and other recommendations is 
salt is bad. And I was consuming almost no salt, like a ridiculously small amount of salt. And it, it was having adverse effects until I realized that, you know, I did, I did a little reading and I saw some people on Twitter and it occurred to me that, wow, you know, maybe most people eat too much salt, but I was eating not enough salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one of the first thing I didn't really pay too much attention to salt before I got into kind of a low carb way of eating. I just kind of assumed, and maybe it was, you know, the, the moderate to high carbohydrates was enough to kind of keep fluid balance a little bit. But yeah, once I went low carb, that became something where I put a little more attention to it and have certainly increased my salt intake since then. And uh, I'll notice, especially in the warmer months, if I get behind on that, it's uh you know, a recipe for disaster in terms of how I kind of feel and my energy levels and focus and all that stuff. So um, definitely worth worth a note. Uh, one other question I have on the, the nutrition side of things is uh, you mentioned earlier that you're typically hitting about 50 to 90 grams of carbohydrates per day. Uh, you'll get some of that probably from the foods you mentioned, but are there some like kind of go-to more carb-based foods that you focus on that gets you to that 50 to 90 gram window or is it kind of uh, just a variety of things that you trickle in here and there? Um, I eat mixed berries, um, you know, blueberries, uh, raspberries, blackberries, and strawberries. Um, some combination of those almost every day at night after my, uh, after my dinner, um, I put them on uh, Greek yogurt and I usually have the Greek yogurt with no fat, but uh, that depends where I'm at. You know, like um, uh, I usually get enough fat in my, in my, dinner and have had fat in my lunch that I, I don't need the extra fat and I'm, I'm eating the carbs for, for energy. So it's, um, uh, you know, the berries. Um, so that works well for me. Um, I do have vegetables like broccoli and, and asparagus, but there's not a lot of carbs there. Um, sometimes, you know, my one guilty pleasure is, um, I, uh, sometimes will have a spoonful of peanut butter, um, and, uh, so, and, you know, sometimes I'll even have the, uh, you know, the, the, the regular off the shelf peanut butter. I don't need a lot of it, but um, candy peanut butter. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, uh, but other carbs, um, you know, I, I've, I've gotten, you know, where I'm not afraid of, um, you know, having a baked potato or, or a, a sweet potato. Uh, what else do I, oh, my wife makes um, every once in a while, probably, you know, once a week, she'll make a loaf of uh, sourdough bread. And I, I will generally have at least a piece of that. Um, and, and I'm able to keep within that, you know, 50 to 90 is a relatively, um, you know, flexible window. Um, I don't since, you know, I don't eat any junk food. Um, it's like I could easily be at dinner and have had 20 grams of carbs. So you can you can have a, a baked potato or a, um, or a a couple of pieces of um, sourdough bread and enjoy and still be within the thing and, and between the, in the, in the range. And, and, you know, like, it's not like for me, if I were to have 110 grams of carbs on a day, it's not the end of the world. Um, I do, I, I step on the scale every morning and the numbers typically uh, are just within a couple of pounds year round for the last two and a half years. Um, but if, if I, I sort of have a little rule, you know, if I, if I go over a certain weight, I have a number in my mind, it's just like no big deal. Just uh, cut back on the carbs um, the following day and, and repeat and see what happens. And if, and it's so far, 
um, you know, there's just no issue. I mean, it's like I, I weigh between 198 and 206 is like my outer window right now. Um, and the, my weight, by the way, has gradually gone up over the last year. Um, uh, well, I should say not my weight, but my, um, and my body fat has gone down um, and my muscle has gone up. So, so I feel like I'm fitter than I was a year ago at the same weight. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I think it's an excellent transition into another topic I want to chat to you about because you mentioned in the beginning that you had had some strength work that you were doing prior to your dietary changes. So I'm kind of curious about how you structure that, like what it kind of entails. So maybe if you could just kind of walk us through like a typical day or maybe even like a week of kind of how you structure your, your strength training routine. Yeah, well, I've, um, I've tried over the last year or so to try to um, get a program that is sustainable. I typically am um, in the weight room in my basement, which has been very convenient during the, the COVID situation. I used to go to a gym. The workouts that I do are, are pretty straightforward. I, um, so I try to get down there four or five times a week, and I try to spend no more than three hours um, total on the weights. Uh, and I spend two hours running uh, at this point. So, uh, you know, I have, I have free weights. I have a pull-up bar. Uh, I can do dips on the uh, between the island and the counter in my kitchen. Um, and uh, I have a set of rings outside if I want to go out and do some pull-ups on rings. It's it's all there. Uh, I you know, are are you curious about the specific weights or or what kind of uh, uh, you know, volume or intensity. Um, sure. We can jump into all of that. I think maybe, maybe to start, are there like some specific like foundational movements that you kind of build everything around? Like, are you doing, you mentioned bench press earlier, but are you doing like squats, deadlifts and that sort of stuff as well? Yeah. I would say that my program is, is relatively basic. I've tried to get some knowledge from some of the people, um, that I've met on Twitter. Um, uh, you know, I've gotten a lot of information from, uh, in, in terms of weightlifting from, uh, Dr. Stephen Hor Horvitz, Horowitz and, um, JT Tushera. Um, you know, so I, um, I, I just use some of the information that I've gotten from them as a general guideline. Um, I, I typically would, um, do, you know, like four or five sets of an exercise. I do bench press squats, deadlift, uh, wide grip pull-ups, chin-ups, uh, neutral grip chin uh, pull-up. And, uh, you know, I vary it around a little bit. I do some, uh, um, an assortment of ab exercises, uh, curls, uh, some tricep exercises, including dips. Um, and, you know, keeping within that three-hour uh, um, uh, total framework, I don't really worry too much about uh hitting an exact, um, replica of exercises each week. You know, if I, if I haven't done a good shoulder workout in a while, I might skip a triceps workout and, and just focus on, you know, a real hard shoulder workout one night. And then, you know, I'll do, you know, maybe I'll do, um, back and biceps and, you know, you know, hit, but I, I try to keep the, the, um, you know, it's like 45 minutes is a workout. Um, I'm mostly, uh, you know, I don't, I, 
I don't dwell too much on on the the real finer points. I'm not. I'm at a point where, you know, I last last year I spent a lot of time trying to up my bench press, and I'm you know I'm six foot three, two hundred pounds, and I got three hundred and ten pounds on the bench press. That was um, that was as far as I could take it, and I decided you know that's that's it for me. I'm I'm not going to worry about that anymore. I'm not really going to worry about what I can, you know, squat for one rep or deadlift. I just want to keep getting stronger until I can't anymore. And then I'll worry about trying to maintain as long as I can. I know that, you know, when I turn, you know, 58, maybe I won't be able to bench press 300. Maybe I will, you know, it's, um, it's, I'll just keep doing the best I can. And um, I know that it's not going to be unlimited gains, but um, certainly, um, and, and the good part is that, Aside from the bench press, the other exercises all really have room to, to grow, even at my age, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it sounds like you got a really sustainable uh, setup there. And like your training load is pretty consistent from week to week. And then you're maybe a little more intuitive as to like, okay, I, this area of my body is ready to go. Let's work it a little harder this time. And then I think that's just, you know, part of the process of listening to your body and taking that feedback into the workout room when you, when you find yourself there, just pretty cool. I, I would love to hear a bit about kind of how that stuff either progressed or changed as you were going through your weight loss journey. Did you kind of do the strength routine during that? Or was that something where I was like, okay, now that I hit my weight goal time to start working on building muscle versus losing fat. If you did do the strength work, during the weight loss, did you notice that you were retaining some of your previous strength, I guess, PRs, or was that something that you had to give back a little bit as you got your body weight down to the 200 range? No, fortunately, I, I, even though I had been working out, I was a little bit singularly focused on bench press. So, so I, I was, um, I, it, it was, it took a little work to keep the bench press strength where it was, but I was able to do that. I didn't lose strength. Um, um, and I think, um, you know, by, by, Oct- uh, by October of 2018, um, I had, I had been at or below my goal weight for several months. And I was also finding that I was stronger in the weight room than I had ever been. So at the age of whatever that is, three, like 54 years old or 55 years old, I was, I was at my strongest and it was the lightest weight I'd been at since basically uh, either senior year of high school or freshman year of college. Um, and, you know, I was way stronger than I was in college. Um, uh, you know, I just never really tapped my potential. I did lift and stuff, but um, so so uh, and 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 I ironically um, in October of 2018, right when I was realizing I was at my physical peak, um, at least from a, a strength standpoint and from a um, a weight standpoint, um, and I and I and I was running, I was running too. It was um, uh, that was when I got my cancer diagnosis. So um, went through a lot at that point. You know, I was like you, you feeling really good about things, and then feeling like a uh, what's going to happen now? Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's uh, really, I'm sure a contrast of emotions. I mean, here you are hitting these milestones from a fitness standpoint and a goal standpoint, and then 
did it feel like when you got that diagnosis, okay, now we're back to square one, I have to kind of start figuring things out again? Or how did that kind of, how did you work that through your mind? I was a pretty uh, harrowing time because I, I, um, I, I, I had gotten some uh, reports from two different doctors that were uh, ominous to say the least. Um, there was, uh, they did a CAT scan of my chest and they found some, uh, when they, they saw, it, they basically said it, it lit up like a Christmas tree and um, the cancer was in my neck and my throat. Um, so that was a very concerning uh, thing to see something in my chest because that, that basically the, the one doctor kind of, he, he, when he told my wife and I what they saw, he said um, he wasn't positive as to what it was. He said, if it's not cancer, then the cancer that you have is treatable. And then he paused, like he, it felt like five seconds of silence. And he said, if it is cancer, and then I don't even know if he finished the sentence. I mean, it was like, it's not treatable. And I had to go and uh, get a, um, a biopsy, you know, uh, surgical biopsy in, in, uh, down in New York City. And um, it took, you know, like the, the time between that first visit, it felt like an eternity. And uh, it really, it, it really, it opened my eyes and it, and it made me kind of confront my mortality and uh, something that I had never really spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, I made some resolutions to myself on that first day. Like, um, if I, if, if this is bad, I'm going to, I'm determined to make the best of it in whatever time I have left. And then I said, and if it turns out to have a, a better ending, I'm not going to, um, you know, fail to take advantage of what I've learned here. Like, you know, our time is going to come to an end and it's up to us to make the most of it while we're here. And I, I really hadn't been thinking about that the way I should have for the, the previous part of my life. And I really haven't forgotten that a single day ever since. Do you think that just kind of the successes you had with the weight loss and the nutritional things put you in a position where your mindset could go that more positive route versus maybe how you would have done it before earlier in life? Uh, unquestionably. Uh, giving someone you can't overstate the importance of, of uh, a person discovering how to make themselves healthy and fit. Um, it's, it's, um, it's an unbelievable power that we have and that most of us um, don't take advantage of, um, you know, like, I, you know, most of us will never tap even close to our full potential, but so much, so much, so many of us leave so much on the table. It's, it's, it's really pathetic, um, you know, to, 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 to walk around weighing 278 pounds, like I did, um, you know, I was limiting my life and my enjoyment of it and my ability to give things and share things with other people. Um, it's like, you can do so much more. And, um, I think that the tools are there, but so much of us are not aware of exactly how to use them. Yeah, you know, it, it makes sense. And how did the whole, uh, the, the cancer diagnosis end up uh, concluding? Did you, were you able to find a solution that was relatively straightforward as, as, it, as straightforward as it can be with something like cancer? Yeah, I was, I was extremely fortunate. Um, I got the, the good news after uh, more than a week of w waiting, um, some real, uh, you know, pins and needles, but yeah. 
Um, they, they, they said, okay, so you have cancer in your neck and your, your throat. Um, here's how we're going to solve it. It involved um, five or six weeks of radiation and chemo. And it wasn't the most enjoyable experience in my life. But uh, I got to tell you, I, I met people in the waiting room um, at the uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And some of these people had courage beyond words people that were in there for their third time with the same or a different cancer that kept coming back and people that were just basically fighting to extend their life by a couple more years, maybe if they're, if they're lucky. Um, and these people, you know, I, I would have conversations. I made some friends, um, some with better outcomes than others, but um, when you see what other people are going through, it, it just, you know, it's like uh, I'm in a situation where, yeah, my my throat, I lose my sense of taste. My throat hurts to the point where tears run down my face when I eat food. Um, you lose your appetite, but that's nothing compared. You know, for for a couple of months, um, that's something that a person can endure. Um, and there's people that are that are putting up with so much more and so much more stoically than you can imagine. So. I, I, I definitely got a lot of strength from, from other people and, uh, um, and, and I learned a lot in the process. That's amazing perspective for sure. Uh, and it just adds to a, an, an otherwise already impressive story, in my opinion, uh, you were able to kind of use the tools that you acquired through other experiences, life to kind of get through, um, you know, over another hurdle more or less. Um, I want to jump into kind of one more topic here if it's all right with you. And that is uh, your more recent uh, kind of interest in testing your limits a little bit in some of the running type stuff. I know you've been working with uh, Brady Holmer, who's been on this podcast uh, as well uh, in terms of developing and uh, training towards running a 5k, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, I was a cross country runner in high school. Um, Probably because my athletic abilities in other sports were not so strong that um, cross country was, was just there for me. I did play a little bit of basketball. Um, uh, but so I had, I had a little bit of experience running five K's um, in high school. And I, my, my fastest time, if my memory serves was a 1919. So you're, you know, just to give you an idea, I, at the time I probably weighed 200 pounds and was six foot three um, I made a lot of noise when I came stomping across the course and that's, that was my level of achievement. Um, so whatever that is, it's like a six minute something, um, pace. Um, and I did a little bit of running in the years of college and, and following, but I never really took it very seriously. I did a couple of 10 Ks. Um, so then decades went by and I never, I never, uh, made a practice of running and, um, in the years ar- around the weight loss, I started running again with my wife. Um, so I had been running a little bit, um, uh, with my wife prior to my cancer diagnosis. And then after the cancer treatment, <clears throat> I, um, I, I remember the first time that we went out for a run together after, um, my chemotherapy and I couldn't run a mile. Um, I couldn't run a mile without stopping. Uh, I was very depressing. Um, but anyway, this this past um, about ten weeks ago, um, 
I started tweeting that I was interested in starting running again. And I sort of laid out the, the idea that I was going to train for a 5K. And very lucky for me, Brady, um, who I think we both, we follow each other on Twitter. He, after a, an exchange or two, he, he offered um, to create a 5K running plan for me. And I was like, well, I'm not going to miss that opportunity. Um, Brady is a PhD candidate in exercise physiology, and um, he's a, a former Division One runner um, with some, you know, ra- rather impressive credentials. And I, I was like, um, yeah, tell me what to do. And but before I asked him to go forward and make a plan, I, um, in in keeping with my sustainability. Um, mentality. I said, I'm willing to run three days a week and I'm willing to devote a total of 120 minutes. And if you can give me a plan for that, I will, I will follow it. And so about two days later, he gave me an Excel sheet with, um, uh, with his plan and within a very, um, you know, with very small exception, I've, I haven't missed a workout in 10 weeks um, I've done them on the right day and I've more or less done pretty much exactly what he'd asked for um, on interval days. I've just about been able to meet all of his, um, his asks and I've been able to exceed some of them. Um, so I think I'm on a target right now for the goal that we kind of mutually agreed on, which was um, a 25 minute 5k by labor day. Um, and to put it in perspective, um, a week before I started the training, I ran a 29-32 5K, and, and I pushed pretty hard. It was pretty painful, and that was about all I had. So, so we're talking about four and a half minutes off of that pace, and I feel pretty confident that I'm going to be able to achieve it. Um, and it, the best part about it is I don't have to think about what I'm doing. I literally just open up the Excel sheet and look at what Brady has asked me to do and I do it. And I think that's a a useful thing um, for some people because a lot of people are paralyzed by uh, fear, not knowing, not knowing what to do, um, uh, worrying that they're not doing enough um, and then maybe accidentally doing too much. Um, Or the other, the other thing as well, you know, like, like, when if Brady says that I've got to run um, five half miles at um, four minutes each, um, it, it that that's a, a guideline that when I'm halfway through my first half mile and I look at the, the clock, I'm like, I got to pick it up. I'm not going to make my pace. If if it was just me making the rules, what on earth would I would I reach for? I I wouldn't even have an idea of of what pace, you know, just, just running as hard as you can is so easy to fool yourself. Um, so, so that's, that's where I'm at. And I, it's definitely, um, uh, with the possible exception of, uh, high school cross country when I was actually on the team, this is by far the, the most regimented, um, uh, running workout I've ever had. And it's, um, it's producing results and I'm, I'm definitely going to, um, pursue, uh, additional goals uh, beyond Labor Day. Awesome. No, what you described is is perfect. I think uh, it sums up just 
both the coaching and the participant experience at a more practical point where, you know, you can go online and find, well, what is X pro doing for training for their, you know, Olympic 10 K or marathon, whatever it is, and then kind of be paralyzed by the workload. And then you have to almost remind yourself, okay, that's, that is literally their only focus. (laughs) Whereas like most people are going to go about it the same way you did where, you know, you hire a coach or talk to a coach and you say, here's the parameters that I have available based on my other interests and the rest of my lifestyle, my job, my family, my friends, you know, for you, obviously you also have your, your strength training stuff that I'm guessing you want to stay on top of. And, you know, you gave Brady a kind of a, a clear kind of structure that you could work from. And then he built the best possible plan within that. And, and then for you, you have that guidance and that kind of positive feedback loop of, you know, I target this time for this distance. I do this number of them. And then if you repeat that workout, you can assess progress and things like that. And I think when you have a setup like that, it's kind of similar to your dietary journey where you have the consistency and the, you know, the progress along the way that kind of feeds into itself and and promotes the the continuation of it. And I'm excited to hear you're not going to be a one-off 5k guy and (laughs) come uh, come the, come that that particip- or that particular event and you're gonna keep kind of adding that type of stuff into your programming yeah I, I, I really um, I really think that um, fitness from now now having you know um, yeah I, I'm fully cognizant of the fact that there are people that are so far beyond what I'll ever accomplish both in the weight room and um, on the uh, the track or a cross-country trail. Um, but for overall uh, feeling good, um, a combination of both uh, for me is is definitely important. Um, I've I've had one or the other at different times in my life, but the times when I feel the best is when I can you know run five miles at a decent clip and also move some serious weight. Um, you just feel like a, a viable um, you know healthy person. Um, and, and I, I, I really would recommend for anybody to, you know, I know that you also do coaching. I think that, um, that the, the, um, the benefits that you get from sort of um, handing over the, um, the, the, the brains part of, of coming up with the program um, and customizing it to what your needs are, um, it would be well worth um, the expense I mean, when you think about how many, you know, even for my three-day-a-week running program, uh, you know, we're talking about two hours times 15 weeks. That's 30 hours of my time that I'm investing. Um, the the idea of paying um, a couple of hours for a coach to come up with a plan to make those, those hours more productive just seems like a no-brainer. And one other little piece of advice I would give people is, um, it's been very important to me, is finding out a way... To, to hold yourself accountable for all of these goals. And uh, my little cheat has been to post about my what I do on Twitter because I sort of hold myself accountable to all the people that I told my goal to. You know, like people people weigh in, they, they offer me advice and suggestions. And once that, once, once other people are sort of a little bit invested in you, it's like easy to get yourself to be like, well, you know what? Uh, you know, I, I told all those people I was going to run a 5k at Labor Day. It's going to be kind of, kind of lame if I don't do it. I'm not really doing it for them, but, um, 
it's just little little cheats to to keep yourself accountable when you might otherwise um, drop the ball. Excellent. No, I love it. I love the way you have it set up and your mindset about it. And, and one final question along those lines, did you feel the need to or end up making any dietary changes when you introduced the 5k training plan? Or have you been able to kind of just stick to what's been working for you to date? Um, no, I haven't really. Uh, I was fascinated by your conversation with Michaela um, in, in that podcast where you talked about um, how how one fuels for a race. And I realized that, you know, my training, the, the longest distances that I've been running are five miles. Um, clearly, my 200 pound frame has enough uh, fat uh, stored in it. Um, uh, and then, you know, I'm sure there's some um, some muscle glycogen um, floating around as well. So, so, you know, I, I, I really haven't had any sort of uh, uh, need for dietary changes. I don't even think I've, uh, I, I wouldn't really know if I, if I was eating a little bit more, um, you know, obviously I'm burning off some calories, but, um, uh, you know, I'd be, I, it's hard for me to tell even, you know, I, I work out pretty hard as well and to, to differentiate one from the other, I, I haven't really noticed. Um, I, I do know that the one, one curious thing I would, I would, I would ask you about it is, is when I went low carb, um, my need for fluids, um, diminished greatly. Um, I used to sweat a lot and I used to drink enormous amounts of water. Um, and now even after a, a, like a five mile run on a hot day, I mean, when I come back, I, I hydrate for the purpose of hydrating, but I don't even feel a particular um, thirst that, um, that I used to feel. Um, does that seem like something that would be normal? It's a really good question. I, I wouldn't be able to tell you the kind of hows and whys that's going on. I have heard that before from other folks that are low carb. In fact, we had uh, back when uh, Dr. Baker was still co-hosting with me, we had Charles Washington come on. And, you know, he's pretty strict carnivore, so basically zero carb. And he said that that's one thing he noticed was a drastic difference was he'll do marathons without drinking a sip of water versus before, you know, you'd be like, you know, guzzling bottles of it throughout that sort of thing. So it's something I've had, uh, you know, float past me in the past, but I don't know that I have any good answers as to the hows and whys that would be. But uh, for whatever reason, it seems like your body's probably just a little more efficient with its fluid balance and, um, I'm not sure what role carbohydrates play in that. It's possible that since carbohydrates do kind of tether themselves to water when you're consuming them, that if you're introducing that intra-workout, that your body's also going to be wanting more fluids to kind of you know, bind to that. Uh, but it's, it's hard to know because I think like some of the reason that I think we see the higher sodium intake from folks like ourselves is because we are trying to still maintain a healthy blood volume level. And that sodium kind of helps do that at the app, especially in the absence of carbohydrate. Uh, also why if we would maintain our sodium consumption and then say add like 300 grams of carbohydrate to our diet, we'd probably gain four pounds overnight just from fluid retention. Right. Right. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, that sort of stuff. It's interesting though. Uh, you know, I'd have a hard time pinpointing if I had any experience like that. I certainly wasn't paying close enough attention to that to know when I switched and it's, it's been so long now 
that I, I I wouldn't be able to recollect it. And then I've also thrown a big wrench into it uh, over the last 10 years. I've moved to a variety of different climates between the Midwest to California to Arizona that, you know, all in, in Wisconsin, especially, you know, we had four seasons. So what worked during winter was different than what worked in the summer. California is a little more consistent here in Arizona. It's kind of the opposite of Wisconsin, where you go from really pleasant temperatures to extremely hot temperatures. So kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum, but, but yeah, it's an interesting, uh, interesting, uh, observation on your part, but maybe I'll have to try to get someone who's smarter than me on to talk about <laughs> fluid balance and how that is all tied into this sort of thing. Um, yeah, well, I, yeah, as far as any other nutritional things, I, I think that my, um, um, my, my diet seems to be well, well equipped to fueling my, my running needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it sounds like you're, you're heading in a great direction. You're keeping things in a sustainable way. And, and, you know, it's, it's like you said, 120 minutes is, it's a change in your training load and it's a difference. So it's good to kind of pay attention to how your body's feeling and how things are responding to that. But, uh, you know, I don't know that it would be a scenario where you would need to start, like say upping your carbohydrate with that when you have like a, a full day off in between each session for the most part. Yep. Uh, one of the more interesting observations I had when I first got into low carb was that, uh, I would always hit this point where if I was strict keto, uh, once I started implementing some structure and building volume and adding some intensity in workouts, I would find that I would be losing kind of that last gear. And then I would, I would never have to go back even close to moderate carbohydrate, but a little bit went a long way during those sessions and training. But if I did put myself in a position where, you know, I did a hard short interval session and then stayed away from that type of a workout for like a week or so. I didn't really need to bring the cars back in that scenario. I, I actually specifically remember a 400 meter workout I did after not doing any speed work for about a week. And I had stayed really low carbohydrate, like probably 50, maybe 75 grams or so per day. And uh, just nailed the workout to the tune of what I would have been able to do when I was moderate carbohydrate. And that's where it kind of clicked on me. It's like, okay, this is more about the time between sessions. So when I find myself what you call blocking workouts, where if I'm doing like a, say uh, a short interval session one day, and then the next day I'm going to go out and do like a long interval session or what you'd call a tempo run. Those are the days where I probably don't want to be strict keto. (laughs) Um, If I want to be able to bounce back and hit that second workout in a quality way. So, you know, there's a lot of nuance in that. Obviously the stuff I'm doing is so varied from off season to peak training that, uh, it can be a little more of a, uh, a periodized approach than what I think certainly than what I would do if I were, uh, you know, training at a much lower volume or even doing such high intensity that you essentially limit the amount of volume you can spend doing anything because the stuff you are doing is, is going to take a, your body's going to take a big enough hit from that, that you just need the time between sessions. Cool. Chris, well, I mean, it's been great to have you on here. I think you're, I've been following you on, on Twitter and it's been fun to kind of see everything progress with you and even better to kind of hear it from you in a little more detail. And uh, I want to give you a chance if you, if you want to share with the listeners where they can find you. Yeah. Well on Twitter, you can find me at biggest comeback. So the two words together, just biggest comeback and another place where I like to engage with people. I have a biggest comeback email and you can find the subscription link, um, in my Twitter bio, um, uh, or you could also find it at biggestcomeback.com. 
and I, I send out a weekly email and it's, it's just written from the perspective of a guy in his mid fifties, who's, who's uh, learning from a lot of people like yourself and other really smart people who've accomplished a lot um, in the, the areas of fitness and nutrition and medicine. And um, you know, it's just uh, a lot of it is my own uh, experiences. And uh, sometimes I focus on uh, the experiences of uh, some of the people that I get to interview. So that's, uh, those are the, the two places where people can really engage with me. Perfect. I will be sure to put links to that in the show notes, folks. So if you, you want to check out what Chris is up to and follow along, you can find those there. Uh, and, but Oh, one more thing. I just, I, I would be remiss if I didn't um, just uh, mention uh, my biggest comeback email is sponsored by Simply Snacking which is a, um, uh, a beef and chicken snack company. And they, they use grass-fed, grass-finished fi- uh, grass beef and, and uh, free-range chickens. And I just, uh, they, they've made it possible for me to do that email. So I just wanted to thank them for that as well. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah, no, it's uh, good to hear that you've got some, some support there from a, from a product that is, is clearly in line with your nutritional uh, program. <laughs> Awesome, Chris. Well, thanks again for coming on and spending some time with me and sharing your story. I'm looking forward to getting this one out to my listeners. Oh, thank you very much. It's been an honor to talk to you, Zach, and I uh, look forward to listening to more of your podcasts and uh, also following your your, uh, running adventures. Awesome. Take care. Take care. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. 